again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemper and as always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, William? It is really good, my friend. I'm disappointed I didn't get a cool middle name this week, but I am doing well. What's happening? Oh, not too much, mate. I've just got myself a couple of vending machine beers and I'm just sitting here ready to get through week six. Uh, the recap episode and, and hit off on all the things that we need to get through on a massive show tonight. Vending machine beers, that sounds interesting. Well, it's this fundamentally the same thing. They just come from a vending machine and there is one on the floor of my hotel. So Handy. Okay. Well, that's danger. cool. Yeah. So that is a thing. I am absolutely knackered, I must admit. The Japanese really know how to work hard, something that I'm not overly familiar with and... School days are a lot longer over here. Apparently, getting to school at like, you know, eight o'clock and staying till seven at night is just part of normal behavior. I can't roll like that. Yeah, welcome to the real world, buddy. Mm, That's not the real world. That's like an 11-hour day. That is too much for me. Yeah, and if you don't, then you bring great shame to your family. (laughs) That is true, and you must not disgrace your family. Anyway, uh, we have got a whole bunch to get to tonight. We've got to, obviously, we start uh, every recap episode. We we have a look at the things that caught our attention from a a, a big picture perspective, a few of the things that disappointed. Uh, Will's going to make a call on another play this week, which will be really interesting. He's probably off to a slow start. For you in your first attempt, so I'm looking to see if you can bounce back from that. Certainly won't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, we go off to the vet as well. Uh, we put a team under the microscope and see if we, in fact, put that team down for the year or perhaps not. Then we hit up the game recaps. We've got Aussies in action, bowl predictions, uh, some helmet stickers to dish out, and we go on the punt as well. So a massive show. Uh, we've got, like I said, we've got a lot to get through and hopefully we can be brisk tonight so I can get some sleep and get up in four and a half hours and do it all again tomorrow. All right. So, William, I'll let you start this week, but what has grabbed your attention? What has got your juices flowing from a very exciting week six of college football? Yeah, I'm glad you found it to be an exciting week. It was more disappointing than exciting for me, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, but If there is one thing that did get me going, it's the fact that the Big Ten is kind of the anti-Pac-12 in that they are producing some really impressive teams and like there's a few out there that have really stamped their claim to say, I'm a good team and I'm better than the middle rung of my division, which is... And you're talking Minnesota Golden Gophers football. That's what we're talking about on this show, obviously. Well, I mean, they're, they're pretty good. For me, it's more, you know, overachieving in what I expected. So Ohio State, I thought were a good team, but to me, they look like they're a top three team in the nation. Like I've been really impressed with them. I've had them at a different rung behind Alabama and Clemson. But from what I've seen so far, I'm putting them in that conversation. Same as those two there. I really like where they're at. But also Wisconsin. I mean, they are just trashing teams. Their defense is elite. No one can score on them, and they have the best running back in the nation. Good combination to have. And Penn State have been sneaky good too. All of these teams have really exceeded my expectations. So whilst the Pac-12 has been somewhat disappointing and beating up on itself, I think the Big Ten has three real contenders there, and I know that's going to sort itself out over the journey. But at this stage, they're doing the right thing. They're setting themselves up for some juicy matchups because they haven't dropped a game that they probably shouldn't have. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I think some of the heavyweights at the top have been a fraction disappointing. Obviously, Michigan State, we're seeing the same issues that they had last year offensively, um, and they're potentially going to waste another fantastic defensive effort for the second season in a row. Penn State have still got some questions for me. I mean, particularly on the back of that pit game. Um, I know they came out and did things pretty easily this week, but uh, I just I'm, I'm still unsure on on Penn State and their consistency, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Don't get me wrong; at times in quarters, they look like one of the most explosive teams. Uh, kicking around in the sort of top 15 of college football. And there's other times where they just go to sleep. And 
I don't think you can have that against a team like Ohio State for sure. Yeah, no, and I think you're right. But I guess for me, it's just that they haven't dropped those games. They haven't had that complete mediocrity that we've seen from the Pac-12 where the, you want the good teams to kind of put their foot forward and you know beat Stanford, Washington, I'm looking at you. And that they have been able to do that where that hasn't happened necessarily the other side of the country. So I don't know. That was something that has set a few good matches up for me, which I always like. Okay, nice one. So you've gone big picture. I'm going to narrow my focus a little bit. And the thing that got my attention was, and I watched a lot of college football this weekend. I feel like every year I have one week where it's just like one o'clock in the morning through till like two o'clock in the afternoon watching every single game possible. And for me, this became week six. You don't often get to choose it. I didn't choose this one. It's just the way it kind of fell. Um, But the thing that got me was in the latest game, Stanford's offense. They looked the most explosive I'd seen them all year. Um, They have been incredibly disappointing in the first five weeks, uh, which has been, you know, hard to deal with and hard to watch. But they were explosive. Colby Parkinson has finally got off the leash. Um, they also got a good game in the, uh, running the ball with Scarlett. Uh, and I think they potentially are going to create more and more carnage in the Pac-12. So it was Stanford off, Stanford's offense that really stood out for me this week. And I was impressed by how they went about it. Uh, having said that, they'll probably go in next week and lose to UCLA by 40 points or something. But... You know, they were the ones that stood out for me. Yeah, okay. I mean, they're definitely looking like they're going bowling now. I, I'd kind of chalked up them losing that one, so that was a bit of a surprise. And David Shaw's a hell of a coach, so he's obviously been able to dial something up there and, and make it work, which is a great effort. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, though, this weekend. I, I, too, watched a lot of football. Um, not not ever good when it's not with you. Like it was, it was a real solo effort, especially when it's an early start and it, it doesn't go so well for that early game that you're interested in. Yeah. So it was pretty bitter after that point. But battling through it with the long weekend, Labor Day here in Adelaide, uh, I really fucked up my sleep schedule. Like really just <laughs> destroyed it, and then backed it up with the NFL Monday. So all over the shop at the minute. Well, that's all good. Okay, let's keep this train rolling. Lay down Sally, obviously our dedication a little segment to Sally Robbins, but who was the group, team, individual, coach, staff member, water boy, media person that had you frustrated or disappointed in, in this particular week? Uh, the, the, I could not overlook my boys' insipid performance this week. Uh, this Oklahoma State were... Super frustrating uh, as a fan of the team, and I know as you know we sh- we should be presenting ourselves as unbiased uh, commentators here, that. but can't do that. No, exactly right. It, it was tough to take take my uh, heart out of this one and and let it go. So it's just that it happens with regularity these days. They Oklahoma State appear to have all the talent in the world. They have these amazing matches but they play at the level of their opponent. Like they are they are a real killer for that where they'll come up against Oklahoma and they'll run it really close with them and they'll probably lose in the end, but it'll be in overtime or it'll be a super tight one. They'll, they'll go head-to-head with Texas. They'll battle it out. Like I'll, I'll back them to go with anyone in the country. And then they go against the Texas Tech team who have been pretty average to start the year and have like a five turnover differential and just look completely disgusting and like get just smoked through the air, uh, made to look second rate. It's it's a really frustrating thing when you know there's talent, when you know it can happen, but then it doesn't, or it, it happens inconsistently. And and I mean in, inconsistency is part of the college football game, but with Oklahoma State, it always seems to be that they play down to the level of their opponents when when that is the case, and they somehow manage to dig out something deep against a, a solid opponent. Yeah, I mean, I won't dive too deep into this game because we'll talk about uh, about it a little bit more in the game recap section. But, man, frustration is something I know a lot about and um, it, it is something that seems to haunt your cowpokes. They, every year, whether it was Baylor last year in some windy, awkward conditions when Baylor weren't particularly good, Texas Tech this year, 
Um, and then, yeah, they will go and play, or, you know, even Central Michigan, they dropped a game there at home. And it's just frustrating, especially with good coaching staffs, normally good coaching staffs. And, and I rate Gundy really, really highly. You know, he knows what it takes to get a team prepared. And I'm just not unsure. To me, that's a sign of two things. Either the coaching staff isn't preparing them correctly. I don't think that's the case. Or your talent level doesn't match the opponent or can't maintain the rage. Or if they're off a little bit because the talent isn't necessarily there across the board, that they get found out. And and like your teams like Oklahoma and Ohio State and Alabama, they can play 10% off. But because the talent level is just there and and by vastly uh, outclasses their opponent, they can get away with it. But teams like Oklahoma State who, you know, you know, they're running on three stars and the occasional four star to to compete with the heavy hitters of college football. That's tough sledding, and uh, you can't be off by five percent because if you are a team like, you know, whether it's Texas Tech or Baylor or Iowa uh, State, State, TCU, someone, yeah, the whole lot, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, a bit of a frustrating one. Now, I'm going to jump into something that's a little bit close to my heart as well, and the big disappointment for me is the ACC. Uh, there is absolute carnage through the ACC, and it's not in a good way. And I might explode here. I might go on a bit of a rant, so stay with me, but I can feel my blood boiling because it's actually like watching a bunch of middle-aged, overweight, highly competitive, drunk men trying to win a fucking three-legged race against some people that have the movement skills of a Stephen Hawking without a wheelchair. And for the life of me, I can't understand why the Stephen Hawkings of this race are actually winning they look like the fucking jamaican relay team at the moment wake forest may be the best team in the acc that is how retarded we're sitting at the moment clemson obviously in the atlantic are pretty good but florida state sit third in the atlantic and they're one of the worst florida state teams in recent memory louisville who were an absolute dumpster fire last year and they won two games one against indiana state one against western kentucky they're actually sitting fourth and control their own destiny to make the acc championship game Syracuse are playing bad. And on the other side of things, you've got the Coastal Division, which is an absolute abortion. North Carolina and Pitt were tipped to be the worst teams in the Coastal, uh, only probably to Georgia Tech, who are completely changing their offense. And they sit second and third in that division. It is absolutely embarrassing, uh, this conference at the moment. And the one single flagship program that they have is Clemson, and they just got overtaken in the AP poll after a win, a conference win the week before. The ACC is a mess, and some of these teams need to pull their finger out because there is a closer similarity to a group of five conference than Power Five at the moment. So the ACC have got my blood boiling. Whoa, that was scorching, mate. I like it. A bit of a spicy take. Yeah, no, you're obviously fired up. And I mean, it's something we've been talking about for a number of weeks now, and I've kind of been tongue-in-cheek getting into you a little bit. And it's obviously hit uh, a nerve because you're not wrong in anything you've said there, but it's uh, not something you usually hear from you. So I'm all about that. That's good. I just like... even if, and like obviously a lot of this stems probably from the Miami fandom that I do have and and the ACE, like Miami is just a microcosm of the ACC at the moment and it's I mean it's embarrassing they're embarrassing themselves as a conference and they want to be considered legit in every way and they're not they're pathetic and that and I'm not saying that the ACC is a conference is but the teams within it are playing at such a terrible standard um you know, and probably we'll come to bowl season and the ACC will go like seven and three or something in bowls. And then everyone will be like, oh, the ACC is really competitive. Well, they're not fucking terrible at the moment. And um, it's not only that, it's hard to watch. It's The football is hard to watch. Uh, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I don't know where I sit with the ACC, but oh, I, yeah. There you go. Anyway, it's off the chest. Times. It's off the chest. That's It good. is off the chest. So on that note, and I'm sure I'll be able to rage out a little bit more at the Miami game in a second, but we have got call of the week. So we're back to you there, William, uh, to see which clip you have picked. And 
how this call is going to go after a uh, an interesting first call. It wasn't good. Which highlighted zero yard interest, any position players. Um, I think there was a fake knee, yep. fake kneel down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, All right. I mean, well, let's t- take two. There's always a chance to rebuild and get better. Uh, take us through it. Okay. So this week's clip that you have uh, sent over to me is uh, between Tennessee and Georgia on the weekend. So I'll uh, I'll try and give this one a crack. I'll try and set up a few things. I'll try and take a few of the, uh, the notes that you gave me on board. I don't know any players' names, but who cares? You can figure that out on the go. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. So late in the last quarter of this one, 4.55 to go. Uh, Georgia are leading Tennessee 36-14. to 14. Tennessee have the football, but it is time to start the buses. This one is done. Georgia are going to roll on home to Athens. Victorious Tennessee back to the mediocrity that they've been wallowing in for some time. They find themselves second and 15. Familiar spot for most of this second half. Behind the sticks, really struggling. Poor backup quarterback, don't know his name, but not Jared Guantanamo Bay, has not had himself a great game. Let's see how we can go here. The ball is snapped. And coming off the edge, bang, look out. The defensive end is a weapon. He has hit him hard and the ball's free. It's bounced out. Someone's picked it up. Oh, and the ref has just laid the best block of the day. Tennessee boy has tried to whip himself up around to make the tackle. The Georgia bloke picking it up here, number 30-something, has scooped it up and sidestepped himself behind the ref, expertly using him as the shield. He has then been absolutely creamed by the Tennessee player here. The bloke has scooped it up, walked his way into the end zone. Georgia score again. Georgia touchdown. Go dogs. (laughs) Um, yeah, okay, good, good. Uh, animation, good, very clear. So that was nice. Um, a few names would, yeah, wouldn't go astray. Yeah, okay. it's a, anyway, they're up, we, they're we up know. like three scores in the last quarter. They're, they're running through their two day pier, dude. Come on, there's a hundred, there's 130 schools. I, I don't know George's second string. D-line, you, you've got to cut me a yeah. break. I mean, this dude's probably an all-American who's done this, so I, I need to be careful <laughs> with, with what I'm running here. But... All right, let's. Uh, so yeah, not too bad, not too bad. We'll keep working on that. We'll we'll improve the school the skills on the live call, just, and we might even tackle uh, a game later in the year together. Just before we do jump on, there. Did you hear the hail mary call for the Ashland? What are they? Div, Div yeah. Three. <laughs> yeah. That was elite. For those of you out there that did not hear, it, it was a hail mary play to finish the game from like forty yards out. Ashland down by five points or whatever it was. Quarterback drops back, hucks it up there. One of those, you know, catch me prayers. One of their players comes down with it and wins, and the whole time the commentator, quarterback back to throw, throws it deep. It's in the air for a long time. He's caught it. He has caught the ball in the end zone. Touchdown, Ashland. They have won the game in a walk-off. I'm <laughs> just like, what? This is the most just a date call of a Hail Mary catch touchdown that I've ever heard. Brilliant. Loved it. <laughs> It was good. All right, let's move on to putting a team under the, uh, I guess, a- Animalia World Microscope. Uh, and we're going to head off to the vet. So you've got a team for me this week, William. Uh, and I'm going to examine them in some detail. Who have you got lined yes, up? Yes, okay. For? So this week, my little pet is the Florida Gators. So I have a, a pet gator here. Um, and okay. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, everything seems pretty good, right? Things are going really well for my gator. I've bought him in here. I didn't know what to expect when I bought this gator, but things are looking pretty good. I just, 
I have a feeling that something's not quite right with him. So I wanted to bring him into you uh, to get a bit of a diagnosis to find out whether this gator is going to grow up and, and do good things for my household or if there's potentially an issue I've got with my little gator here. Yeah, well, the first part of this animal that I noticed has got a gimpy left knee. I don't know if that's a front leg or a back leg, but um, it is a gimpy knee. Now, obviously, I am referring there to the Kyle Trask injury from the weekend, which Dan Mullen went and called dirty, which I thought was harsh at best. Um, But obviously, they are still recovering from the – well, not recovering, but dealing with the Felipe Franks injury – Kyle Trask comes in and has been playing really, really, really well. In fact, he's almost unlocked the keys to this particular offense that Felipe Franks just wasn't managing. He's a more accurate passer, particularly in the intermediate game. Uh, he sees the game quickly, manipulates safeties with his eyes. He, you know, he doesn't have the cannon that Felipe Franks does, but not many do. Uh, so I've actually been impressed with, on the offensive side for them. I think they've actually taken a step forward on the offensive side. Uh, and and probably some of the biggest recipients of that have been the receivers. Freddie Swain, who is someone who has been meh a little bit in his Florida career, very kind of, you know, relatively highly ranked coming out of high school and has never really taken off. But in the last three weeks, he has gone off and that sort of came to a head on the weekend with an eight-catch, 100-yard performance against Auburn. Um, the, the offensive line, which we were worried about, perhaps has settled in. And the defense is certainly elite. Absolutely. There is no questions whether it is Grenard or Henderson or Reese or Marco Wilson or whoever else you want to put uh, on the field. They have got a really, really stout, particularly back end. Their secondary is fantastic. I get the same feeling though. As a doctor or a vet, a doctor of animals, I get the same feeling. There is something still about this Florida team. I think their Achilles heel is going to be the run game. Uh, that offensive line, which is a little bit you know, younger, a little bit inexperienced. LaMichael P. Ryan, whilst he had that you know, big, crazy 88-yard run on the weekend or whatever, I just am still hesitant on him as a runner of the football. And... I'm still hesitant in terms of what the Gators are doing. I think they're a really good football team. I think their defense is elite, but I think they can be beaten. Uh, You had uh, Bo Nix on the weekend, tough road trip for a freshman quarterback. So I'm not reading too much into that. It's not like they completely dominated the game, uh, you know, and and that offensively especially. I am going to say I'm, I'm holding on Florida at the moment. I'm not getting too excited. I'm not banging the drum for an SEC uh, East victory, uh, you know, division win or anything like that. I still think Georgia are the best team there. So I, I, they're good, but it's going to take a pretty special effort on the right day to put them up there with the top echelon of the SEC. Okay. So there you, there you have it. My gator is pretty good. Uh could healthy, healthy, but not pedigree breeding stock. Okay, but could still take off a finger or two if you're not careful. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Gators fans will be happy with how they're traveling, so they should be. Uh, but I think this was an overranked Auburn team, and uh, there's still a long way to go for me to consider Florida as a legitimate. SEC and national championship threat. Maybe only overranked in the South Pole. Okay. But you don't listen to our sure. episode, so you probably don't get that reference. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, some game recaps. We've got a lot to get through in not a lot of time, so let's bust through these. Let's start in the Big Ten. Uh, the early game, the big noon kickoff, which was destined to be an awesome competition between the Michigan Wolverines, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who was going to come out victorious. It was a big 10 tussle for the ages and it fell flat hard. Uh, Michigan get over the line in this one, 10 to three, but they caught a couple of breaks early, which was 
important for them. Neither quarterback was particularly efficient and both defenses were solid for sure. Uh, I thought Iowa, they were living dangerously. They were getting into, you know, second and longs, third and longs. uh, And then they were converting a lot of third downs, which is never the world you want to live in. But they continually stalled out when you felt like they were moving the ball. Uh, and they actually lived in Michigan's half for long periods of the game. They just, you know, drives fizzled. They couldn't take their chances. And that Michigan defense, which caused a lot of havoc late in the game, was was a really, really good one. I wasn't impressed with the Iowa play calling. I didn't think that was particularly great. I wasn't overly impressed with AJ Epinesa um, at defensive end. I kept a close eye on him and I thought he was going to be a real standout and we would notice him, but he never really took over a game like I was expecting. I, you know, it was a little bit of a lackluster performance by both teams and neither of them looked like a winner in the Big Ten for me. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on there, mate. It was certainly that, bit of a snooze fest. Um, I mean, solid defense from both units. Uh, Michigan's defense is looking really good, but Iowa was was right there. Uh, for me, it's it's Shea Patterson has been super disappointing, and I don't know how much of it you put on the kid, how much is this new offense that's really not doing anything. But if you cast your mind back to the start of the year, you would say that both he and Joe Burrows were in a probably a similar kind of situation with where they were at, like highly recruited guys, uh, both transferred previously, big-time programs, and they've just gone in complete opposite directions. I mean, Shea Patterson... And what's the reason for that? Uh, I think it's, it's a combination of things. I mean, I'm not going to completely take things away from Joe Burrows and say, oh, it's all coaching and, you know, that's the only thing there. He's obviously taken to that really well and it's set up for his skill set, but he's also made some progress himself as as a football player and he's making the right reads and you know he's been super impressive so I don't want to take away from that but yeah I think a big part of it is the system that have been implemented and they're both new this year uh, at both of those schools and yeah chalk and cheese yeah I mean you know my mind on this having lived as a Miami fan with inept coaching for so long uh, I am you know I am so quick to lay this on coaching uh, and I will continue to do so because I think if you took Joe Burrow out and swapped him with Shea Patterson, a straight swap, I believe that Shea Patterson, I'm not saying he's going to have as good a year as Joe Burrow and like you said, I'm not taking any credit away from him, but Shea Patterson's going to have a better year than what he's having in that LSU system than he's having in the Michigan system at the moment. Yep, that's a fair shout I reckon. Okay, let's move along to the big SEC matchup, which again didn't, you know, didn't really knock our socks off, which was a little bit disappointing. But that is the tussle between Auburn and Florida. Um, I'll let you start with this one. On Florida, do get away from a win with a win in the swamp, twenty-four to thirteen. Yeah, it was twenty-four to thirteen. It was quite tight, though. I mean, they scored late on that big eighty-eight-yard run to really put it away, but. Up until that, you know, last bit of the the last quarter, there it was certainly a to and fro, backwards and forwards game, and and both sides were in it. What was really disappointing was this one was that you were kind of expecting it to be, you know, good on good a lot all over the place, but it just seemed to be who like themselves tripping themselves up a lot. There there was a lot of flags. There was a lot of poor play in general. There just there wasn't a lot of great, and that's what you want to see. You want to see a bunch of great individual efforts or team efforts that that kind of do it. Where this one was the team that really didn't fuck up the most. I mean, Florida turned the ball over a lot. They had what four fumbles and three picks or something, or was it? They had the four fumbles yeah, and uh, Auburn had the three picks. Something like that. Like the the either team, yeah. both teams were just giving yeah. the ball back to each other, and you're just kind of thinking someone take control of this one. And eventually, it was Florida that did. They they deserved it in the end. Uh, they they really showed out. It was a 
like full credit to that home crowd there. I think it really played into it. They, they certainly were getting in the minds of the offensive players for Auburn. There are a lot of uh, false starts and shit like that because they, were, they seemed to be a little bit rattled by the intimidating atmosphere that it was. So that was huge for Florida to get this win. Uh, I didn't expect it. I honestly thought going into this game that Auburn were a much better football team and they were going to win by you know, a comfortable margin. So I have to kind of stand up and own that one. As the doc told us earlier, Florida are a good team. Uh, I don't have them in in the league of the elites in the SEC. I I think they're still a step down. And and this game doesn't kind of change my mind in that because of the sloppiness all over the field. But there's certainly a lot of life there. So we'll see how they can go this year and if they can challenge Georgia in that East Division. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a frustrating game for Auburn. Like you said, they turned the ball over four times. They were terrible on third down. And then what Gus Malzahn is known for and what the Tigers have been known for in their successful runs is an ability to run the ball and run the ball regardless, whatever that might be. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> he does use a lot of window dressing, a lot of other things going on to create misdirection, to create numbers in the run game, to create better angles for the offensive line, reaching the second level and all those sorts of things that he does. But they just couldn't get the ball moving on the ground. And and we've, we saw Gus Mazon take over the play calling duties last year after a disappointing offensive output. And that hasn't changed under intense pressure that you're going to get at an away game at Gainesville, which still remains a really tough place to play. So like you said, credit to the Florida fans. On top of that, Bo Nix looked like an unsettled and inexperienced freshman rather than that kind of confident, easygoing playmaker that he had done in previous games. And that was the first time I'd seen a bit of a chink in his armor. Yeah, he didn't look perfect in these other games, you know, whether it was against um, Oregon to start the year or whatever the case may have been. But in this one, he was flustered. He was harassed. Uh, and he looked really, really unsettled, which will be more concerning, I think, for Auburn than his actual play uh, was just his presence and sense on the field and how he's going. Not only that, he turned the ball over in the red zone a couple of times, which just has to be a no-no. And it's a really interesting spot where this kind of leaves Auburn as in the next couple of weeks they go to Arkansas, but then they get LSU and Ole Miss before a bye and then Georgia. And if Auburn are legit, then they probably need to come out of that stretch three and one. And that is a really, really tough ask, but that's what they'll be expecting this year. Obviously, Arkansas and Ole Miss have to be wins. Uh, but they get LSU at home and then Georgia, I believe that game's at home as well. And you've just got to win one of those two games if you're honestly considering yourself in the elite of the SEC and of college football as well. Yeah, and you're right. It's it's not an easy one, but I still rate this Auburn team. I still think their defense is really, really good and that they will be in both of those contests. It's going to be a tough ask. But there is a scenario in my mind where they win all of those games and and set up an absolute barn burner of uh, Iron Bowl this year. Okay, well, let's continue moving on. We head up to the Big Ten now, and this one was probably another bit of a disappointing one. But Michigan State and Ohio State, the Buckeyes get out of this one 34-10. This was a ranked matchup. We're probably hoping for a little bit more out of Michigan State, but Ohio State would just too good this was my first decent look at the Buckeyes I think I haven't watched uh you know I scrubbed through the uh condensed games and things like that but I but I haven't spent a whole heap of time deep diving on a high state this was a chance for me to do that but they really just dominated um not early necessarily and you know the Michigan State defense caused some issues for Justin Fields. He was harassed and he turned the ball over uh, in in the initial parts of the game, but he never appeared rattled. And this is what impressed me so much. Whilst Bo Nix looked like he lacked confidence at times, Justin Fields just looked like he was. it was a matter of time before he was going to score. And he had the confidence in his ability that they knew that he knew that they were going to score. It was just a matter of when. And that's exactly what happened. Like I said, he wasn't perfect. But J.K. Dobbins was fantastic. He put up 176 yards on the ground. Benjamin Victor, 
um, had a good game receiving as well. Um, and it's really interesting to watch the offensive side for Ohio State in this one. Urban Meyer is clearly a great offensive mind, and that's not being questioned. Ryan Day is obviously the head coach there now, but you can, and you can see the Urban Meyer fingerprints on the offense. However, Urban Meyer was a true spread-to-run guy, and if you watch a lot of his stuff, it's all about spreading spreading out the defense so that you can run the ball in the box. If you, if you can't run, that's when you pass. Ryan Day appears to go the other way, and the Buckeyes really look to push the ball downfield and dictate through the air rather than running to set up the pass. And probably for the first time that I've watched them, they've got a truly balanced quarterback. They haven't had that. Under Haskins, he was more of a passer. Bigger dude, could run, but more of a passer. JT Barrett was more of a runner in recent years. Um, So I was really, really impressed by their offense. Not only that, they're extremely multiple, which is something that perhaps Urban Meyer wasn't. But there's times where Justin Fields was going under center. uh, So... A really, really impressive output offensively. I thought they were fantastic. And on the other side of the ball, Chase Young was an absolute weapon. He is a freak of an athlete. No more needs to be said about him. He will be a top six or seven pick in the draft. It will be a travesty if he's not. For Michigan State, I thought Brian Lewerke was actually better than I gave him credit for. He was putting, squeezing the ball into some tight windows and and doing a really, really good job. But they just the Spartans couldn't get a run game going. They weren't explosive enough. And and to me, Ohio State are better than Clemson at the moment. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I have Ohio State as the best team in the country right now. I mean, they are everything that you just said and a little bit more. Uh, this, I mean, I have not been shy on throwing out my love of this Michigan State defense this year. I am continually banging the drum saying that they are one of the best units in the nation. And they got shredded, really. I mean, J.K. Dobbins went for over 170 yards, as you as, as you mentioned, and Justin Fields had his way through the air too. I mean, he did give up that pick. Uh, he did have that fumble taken from him, but... As you were kind of alluding to, that's the sort of thing that could rattle a young quarterback. Didn't phase him. He was still super efficient, uh, kind of took everything that was available to him and really controlled this this match. So they were always going to be able to contain Michigan State with their defense. Uh, it was just how many points could they put up and, and would it be, you know, 21 and, and a tight tussle or, or would they be able to shake out? And they did. They, they really solidified in my mind that they are a really, really good team. For sure. Okay. We're going to blitz through a few of these. We're probably going to stop along the way at some point. So feel free to pull me up whenever you feel necessary, William. But in the Big Ten, if we stay there for a moment, Maryland crush Rutgers 48 to 7. The change of coach had no impact on Rutgers at all. Yeah, and uh, Maryland, State, Maryland hate playing a close game, don't they? Oh, like yeah, we are going to exactly right. We are going to beat the shit out of you, or we're just going to sit back and take it. <laughs> uh, I've got quite an image in my head. Anyway, Penn State score early against Purdue. Uh, and you know, dominate that first quarter particularly, and then close out an easy win, thirty-five to seven. Wisconsin dominate, or probably more specifically, Jonathan Taylor dominates again against Kent State. They win that one, forty-eight to zero. And the defense. Oh, I mean, yeah, that defense is freakish. But I thought there might be a time where Jonathan Taylor just sits on the bench and they just stop giving him the ball because he is getting a lot of wear and tear. He only had nine and carries. But he's catching the ball out of the backfield now, which is even worse. Yeah, if someone tackles him. I mean, you've got to think a lot of these times he doesn't get tackled. He just ends up in the end zone. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That was never an issue for me. Uh, Minnesota, which we have been mentioned, and I'm a Golden Gophers fan. I'm all aboard. Uh, there's a couple of undefeated teams I'm getting all aboard. They are one of them. They beat Illinois 40-17, to 17, and they're kind of just going about their business. They put up over 300 yards on the ground. But I think more importantly for Minnesota, things don't really get a whole heap harder. Yeah, they get a little bit harder, but it's not anything crazy. They get Nebraska at home, then Rutgers and Maryland. There's no reason that they can't be 8-0 by the time we hit November. Yeah, I mean that's that's very true, mate. And what have they not found their way into the AP poll yet? 
Uh, I haven't actually looked at it this week, but I mean, their their wins so far have not been too impressive. I say not too impressive. They haven't probably got a big scalp yet. Uh, so that will come and they'll get their chances, but they do have a good schedule. Uh, they don't get too many of the heavy hitters coming across from the other side of the Big Ten, which is important. Yeah, no, they are still others receiving votes. So there are some two-loss teams like Texas A&M. All right, there's a two-loss team in there, and Minnesota's been disrespected. I don't like this. I think that we should have less people out there protesting and rebelling against climate change, and more of them You're a dickhead. You protesting are a dickhead. that Minnesota aren't in the AP poll. I'm gonna I'm gonna head down there with my big Minnesota for rank twenty three sign, and then on the front page of the the Tizer here in Adelaide, you're gonna see all these fucking climate change enthusiasts or whatever they call themselves, and me. <laughs> It's not an enthusiast. It's not a hobby. So are they, are they against it or are they for it? Well, what, for climate <laughs> yeah. change? Because I, I want warmer <laughs> weather. For... It's been winter for long enough. I'm all for it being a bit warmer here. You're starting to sound like Trump. <laughs> hey, he has a, a, a solid supporter base. Stop, 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 <laughs> I'm stop, trying to grow stop. this show. You need to stop. <laughs> Uh, I know that you're actually a closet Trump supporter. And, I mean, you've both got the blonde hair. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that is the next haircut I need to go for. (laughs) Just take a big fella of the big Donald down to the barber and say, just fuck my shit up. (laughs) God. Uh, Or Boris Johnson is another one you look like. Anyway, a fat... Blonde douchebag. Anyway, uh, let's get back on track here. The Big Ten. Nebraska needed a field goal late from Lane McCullum. Uh, in fact, they get that one as time expired to get over Northwestern, 13-10. to 10. Across into the ACC, Louisville get over Boston College in a relatively entertaining game, 41-39. to 39. North Carolina beat Georgia Tech. 38 to 22 and tech score not one not two but three whole touchdowns look out passing touchdowns i know uh combination oh, there you go so yeah i mean they haven't done that for a couple of games so that's impressive well done georgia Reckham. tech uh reckon uh Virginia Tech lead 28 to nothing at half and win 42-35 over Miami. I'm trying not to be emotional about this one, but I am just about off the canes uh, to the point where I'm almost numb about it all. I know I've gone off the Adelaide Crows as a footy club. Yes, I like to see them win, but I don't watch them on a week-to-week basis. The canes are doing my head in. They are 4-12 and in the last 16 games against Power 5 teams. They are also 48 and 45 since 2010 total. 48 and 45. This was a once fearsome, uh, renowned, intimidating program, and it is almost completely dead and buried. I believe that the Miami program is coming. It's. It, I don't know that it'll ever turn around. I, you can't go this long and have this much frustration and lack of success and expect to just come back in here and expect the 2,000 canes to roll in. I think if you get the right coach, I think that can happen, but it's not going to be, they're not going to be a dynasty like they once were. Um, and it is a frustrating, frustrating time because Miami continue to be outcoached week after week, and I fully expect Virginia, who are extremely well coached under Bronco Mendenhall, to come in and just walk all over the Canes. So an extremely disappointing outing by them. Yeah, I mean, this is who they are these days. Uh, At least on the plus side, when you get back into Adelaide, you'll see that things are going well for the Crows. (laughs) You're a fuckhead. I haven't really followed that. Thing, I but... think 
I am waiting for a call to come up and play for them because there has been such a mass exodus out of there that they're going to need a senior body to fill in some shorts there at the but, moment. They are uh, really seem to be struggling. Uh, but they're getting draft picks for it, are they? I'm assuming. No, the dudes are all just walking out. Even- just not interested. Fucking hate the place. We want out. How does that even happen? Anyway, um, wow. Uh, okay, let's stay in the ACC. Pitt, who was supposed to be bad, just beat Duke 33-30, to who creamed Virginia Tech last week, who just beat the Canes. And this was a Pitt team on the back of a 17-14 win against Delaware. The ACC, like I said early, top to bottom is a fucking mess. The coaching, I believe, is the worst in the country. The talent is patchy. And that wraps up the ACC. Fuck them. All right, SEC. <laughs> Love the SEC, by the way. My favorite. All right, Georgia were down at one point to Tennessee, but they pull away to beat the Vols 43-14. to 14. Brian Maurer got his first start. That's the guy that Will didn't know earlier, replacing Jarrett Guantanamo Bay Guarantano. And he was actually pretty okay early, and then he wasn't as Georgia's defense took over. LSU crushed Utah State 42-6. to Ole Miss do over Vandy, 31-6. That probably surprises me a fraction. Missouri, get on board, Mizzou. They beat Troy, 42-10. Their only loss coming to Wyoming this year, and they've got Ole Miss, Vandy, and Kentucky in the next three weeks, so there's no reason that they can't get to 7-1. and one. Anything from you out of the SEC, William? I would say that one of the reasons that they couldn't is that they lost a game to Wyoming. So there's every chance they drop one of those ones. Um, Kelly Bryant is amazing at the moment. All right. And because of your negativity towards the SEC, we're going to go to the Pac-12 and not the Big 12. So Stanford, who we've sort of mentioned, beat Washington 23. Three to 13 on the back of big games from Cameron Scarlett, the aforementioned Cameron Scarlett, 122 yards on the ground. And David Mills filling in for the injured KJ Costello. Uh, is it panic stations for the Huskies yet? Uh, I mean, for what though? I guess they're still in the conversation to be battling for the Pac-12 championship, that's all they've got now. So the way that the Pac-12 is going, you could probably make that championship game with like seven or eight wins and everyone else will be on six or seven wins. It's just insane how even it all seems to be there. It's okay. Lucky they've got Oregon who get shut out in the first half. Exactly right. They were lucky to get up over Cal. So they do get over the Golden Bears, 17-7. to An extremely uninspiring effort again by Justin Herbert and the Ducks. And I was so big on him, but he has been nothing short of disappointing. I did love the play you call reckon? on the goal line, though. There was like a fake triple option feel. They had Justin Herbert in uh, the pistol. They brought the receiver in motion. He was running that kind of orbit motion that they run on a triple option play. Um, as the ball snapped, that guy in motion turns and runs the opposite direction on sort of like a, a bit of a screen, and he was wide open. I've never seen that play before, and that was a good-looking offensive play. I really enjoyed that one, so well done to the Ducks. So not happy with Herbert's year so far. Passing at over 70% completion rate, 15 touchdowns, only the one interception on the year. Yeah, uh, I still want to see him perform consistently at that elite level, uh, throwing the ball, throwing all the passes, throwing all, you know, I just envisage Oregon as this, and I know it's not Chip Kelly's team anymore, but they're a high-powered offense that passes the ball effectively and efficiently downfield. I think Justin Herbert's been good. I was expecting a Heisman-type run, and he hasn't delivered that. Okay, so you just want more numbers. Because I think he's been efficient with what's been there, what's been available to him. It's just that, I never, I don't know, the the days of Oregon's Chip Kelly running up the score, traveling a million miles an hour seem to be in the past. Uh, So I I never thought that he would um, get himself in that Heisman conversation, but I'd still think he's very much in the thick of, you know, top quarterback drafted. Okay, interesting. All right, let's move on. Arizona beat Colorado. Jesus, both these teams have played some really watchable matches this year. So if you're ever in doubt about who to watch, 
Arizona or Colorado on a Sunday, you know, late morning, early afternoon. There's going to be some entertaining games. So that one was 35-30, and the Wildcats get up in that one. Oregon State now go and beat UCLA 48-31. to Oregon State are in the top or bottom, whichever way you want to look at it, of the worst teams in college or Power 5 football, and they've gone and beaten UCLA. If someone can work out what the hell's going on in the Pac-12, can you let me know? If you're gambling, stay away from the Pac-12 because it is a nightmare. And these kind of... Like between the Pac-12 and the ACC, these two conferences are having a race to see which can be the shittest. And you know the South Park episode where they're playing like baseball in the summer and they're both, all the teams are trying to lose because they hate it, but the parents are loving it. Yeah, Randy Marsh keeps getting in those fights. (laughs) I can love that. That's like the ACC and the Pac-12. It's like, who can be the shittest? Well, we're just going to try and lose and it's embarrassing. But yeah, good South Park episode. Yeah. Just before you do keep shitting on Oregon State, though, this is a big win for them, and they ran up really close for Stanford the week before, so they've dropped to two and three now, but they are an outside chance of making a bowl game for the first time in what would be a long time. So I think that's one that I'm going to be keeping an eye on down the stretch here is if they can string a few more wins together, that would be a really, really big effort for that program. Yeah, just they're driving for that six wins. That's all they need, get that six win. All right, let's jump into your area of the world, the Big 12. Let's go quick here. Oklahoma beat Kansas, and the Jayhawks were plucky again, but Jalen Hurts and the Sooners are too good, uh, 45-20. to 20. Texas beat West Virginia, 42-31. to 31. This was a little bit closer than probably Longhorn Nation would have hoped for, but they get through, win is a win, uh, and Oklahoma is on deck for the Red River shootout next week anyway, so... You know, they'll take the win and move on. Yeah, I mean, this one I had as a trap game for them. It was a tough spot to play, Morgantown. No one really expected much from West Virginia because they have been a bit down this year. They've got the Red River rivalry on the horizon. It just, all of that kind of had me as, yeah, they're fucked here. They're going to get done. But no, it wasn't them who were more than 10 point favorites and lost this week. They managed to get the win. You're a fuckhead. Thank you for that. As well. All right. Texas Tech get over Oklahoma State. Time this one up perfectly. 45 to 25. The Pokes were in the rankings. They will now drop out. Uh, Spencer Sanders was disappointing. Tuba Hubbard got his touches and put up yards again, but it all seemed too little too late for the boys from Stillwater. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Jet Duffy played uh, really, really well for uh, Texas Tech. He had over 400 yards on the ground and I mean, it wasn't hard because the holes that he was throwing into, you could drive a B-double through, and he had all day to do it. They were dominant uh, at the line of scrimmage as well. They they really kind of just gave him all the time in the world that they, they wanted, and then defensively they were, they were pretty impressive too. So credit to Texas Tech. That's a, a great result for them. And this whole Big 12, man, there's, there's some really good teams. Kansas have stepped their game up as the worst team in, and then around that you look at it, you go Texas Tech, West Virginia, TCU, Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, all those teams are pretty good. Like there's not TCU. No, they lost to Iowa State this week, forty-nine to twenty-four. Brock Purdy played his most complete game of the year as both a runner and a passer. So I was actually impressed by him, although he looks like a bobblehead doll running the ball or someone from like I don't know, like FIFA ninety-nine or something. There's just something funny about the way he moves, uh, but. Yeah, Iowa State probably needed that. I feel like it's been a it's felt like a bit of an up and down year for Iowa State. They either score a whole bunch of points or they get blown out. Um, so this is hopefully a bit of a settling for them and they can uh, excel into the back end of the season. Yeah, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of tight matchups in here and I think we're going to see a bit of a muddle as well uh, in this conference. Okay, now this, I know I talked about how much I love Minnesota. The other team that I'm getting behind is your... Baylor Bears. They get up over Kansas State. And I say get up, they actually cover like get over them comfortably. They remain undefeated. Charlie Brewer's playing well. 
Um, but they have got a really interesting few weeks to see exactly where they are at with Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and TCU. If Baylor are legit, um, you know, then they're probably winning two to three of those, I think. Uh, you know, Tech, West Virginia, TCU on the day are beatable. I mean, all those teams are beatable, I think, for Baylor. And most teams have got to feel like it's not the gimme that it was last year. Well, for most teams at least. Um, but they're well coached, I think, highly of Matt Rule. And I'm absolutely on board the Bears from Waco. Okay, there you go. All right, the other games I will quickly mention, UCF go down to Cincy 27-24, to so they won't win the national championship this year. SMU... Yeah, need... go Bearcats. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be rock hard over the Bearcats. SMU need a massive come-from-behind victory in overtime to get over Tulsa 43-37. to Memphis are also undefeated in the American and Notre Dame win again over Bowling Green. All right, let's get into uh, some helmet stickers. Who are you dishing out the awards to this week, Will? I have a whole bunch of stickers to hand out this week, so I'm going to fly through it as quickly as I can. I'm going to start things with Jet Duffy. Uh, mad respect, as I mentioned before, over 400 yards, four touchdowns, really good game for him. Uh, your boy Cozy Perry came in, uh, didn't start the game, but your starting quarterback, whoever that kid is, threw three three interceptions with like his first five passes or some shit so Correct. he got pu- he got pulled out pretty quickly uh perry came in and in a losing effort was certainly valiant went for 422 yards and four touchdowns himself after throwing an interception guess, uh, Josh who's, been named the, guess who's been named the starter for next week aaron kemp like you would assume that after that big game and making the offense look better you would go with nikosi perry right no yeah that's no no, you're going with the guy who threw a shitload of interceptions. Yeah, anyway. yeah I mean, yeah, whatever. Uh, Josh Love at San Jose <laughs> State had a, a win against New Mexico. He had 400 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Khalil Tate, well. Khalil Tate at Arizona was really good in their win too, 31 of 41 uh, and 400 yards with three touchdowns. So he's back. And Joe Burrow again, 27-38. Five touchdowns. He's just a machine at the minute. Uh, running the ball, we had Rodney Smith at Minnesota. He's earned himself a number of stickers this year as well. 24 carries, 211 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell at Memphis. Uh, not a name I'm familiar with, but may need to become because he had 14 carries for 209 yards and two touchdowns. So that's 15 yards a carry. Not bad. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor, we mentioned earlier, just keeps on doing his thing. 19 carries, 186 yards, and four touchdowns. Uh, Kat- can we just reti- so can we just retire Jonathan Taylor? Let's just assume that his helmet is full up uh, so, with stickers. So he's he's got his sticker quota, and we need to get some more names out there? Well, I mean, like, I don't know how he fits any more stickers on his helmet. I think we start There's putting no him down his arms. <laughs> They can wear them like yep. sleeves. It'll be good. Uh, catching the ball, Aaron Fuller, Washington, in their losing efforts, he did his best, had nine catches, 171 yards. Uh, Gabriel Davis at UCF, again, another losing effort, but another 13 catches and 170 yards. The boys just need to finish off with touchdowns, then maybe their teams will win. Uh, Seth Dawkins at Louisville. Uh, in their tight one with Boston College, had 170 yards, but he had the touchdown, and that proved to be enough to get them the win. And Justin Jefferson out of LSU is another one of these freak athletes who's having a really good year. Had nine catches, 155 yards, and two touchdowns. And just to make sure I'm spreading the love, uh, defensively, and the second sticker for Derek Brown at defensive tackle at Auburn. So you mentioned Chase Young was, a, I think you said, top six pick. I'd be surprised if he falls outside the top three, to be honest. But Derek Brown is certainly putting his case forward to be a top 10 selection as that defensive tackle there. He is a big human being, and he is just wrecking things at the college level. And I think it will translate really well. He had uh, a really massive game. So he had... Uh, what a fumble recovery early that he tried to turn into a touchdown but got turf turf monstered <laughs> hard and just <laughs> ate it. Which 
I feel like the film the film room will get a lot of giggles out of that. Absolutely. Uh, and then he did it again later on too. He had a, a second fumble recovery. So you'd think with that they'd be able to get the win, but no, he he is a difference maker. Uh, uh, he he had the four tackles and a sack on top of all of that, but he's an impressive uh, specimen. Then the other one is Jordan Brooks at Texas Tech. So watching this game closely, he just seemed like he was everywhere. When I went back and looked at the the box score at the end of the game, he had 19 tackles. He fucking was everywhere. He had four for a loss, uh, three sacks, a forced fumble. The dude was just flying around the place. So super effort for him uh, out at Texas Tech. Nice one. Well, why don't you just continue your statistical analysis uh, and talk us through the Aussies in action. I'm assuming Max, Max Duffy stays atop the punting records uh, after his job at Kentucky and we'll continue to see the Aussies dominate the punting game. Yes, no, you are spot on. So he is still number one uh, with an average over 51 yards. So he's not only number one, but there's a fair bit of distance there too. Like he's a clear number one. So really cementing himself as the best punter in all of college football this year. I think it was the inspiration uh, from us not knowing who he was in the preseason that's really spurned him on here. So we'll take a little bit of credit, I think. Yeah. Uh, other impressive efforts from the boys this week. Oscar Bradburn jumped up to number three. So that was he, – he was at 10 last week and he had a huge game for Virginia Tech and I'm sure you probably saw parts of this uh, coming up against your Hurricanes. He had uh, seven punts himself and averaged over 50 yards on those. So that's a massive effort. Um, and I guess whilst we're on that game, the other one there, uh, Louis Headley, uh, your boy at Miami was also really good too. So he only had the three punts because you guys were turning it over every other time. But those three were for an average of 49 yards. So he's really settled in there nicely and he's moved himself up into the top 20, which is really awesome to see. Uh, other sh- Aussie- yeah, you thought I was going to jump in there, but these shots at Miami are getting fucking ridiculous. So if you can just cut that shit right out. Uh, what are you talking about? I'm pumping them up. I'm saying you got a really good punter. After we turn the ball over every other every other possession. Well, am I wrong? Fucking get on with it, dickhead. Okay, Cody Grace, he's got my back. And if he does, then you're probably a little bit <laughs> Jesus, I'm dead. shitting yourself. I'm, dead. I'm staying here. Because he's a, he's a big unit. Yeah. He's stringing a couple of really good games together, actually. So uh, he had five punts for at an average of 49 yards. And Jack Brook out of the University – sorry, Jack Brooks out of the University of Southern Alabama uh, has a really good effort. He had eight punts on the weekend, so real busy, an average of 44.6. So he's good. Hopefully he can continue that good form and uh, he can keep working with the – Jaguars down in Southern Alabama. Yes, is that right? That is correct. Jags. Janoris Jenkins old school. There you go. There you go. Everything okay there? <laughs> Might need to cut that out. Did you take a tumble? <laughs> I'm all right. How many of those uh, vending machine beers have you got into over this episode? I'm up to number three. Okay. All so. Right. That's that for our Aussies in action. Now let's have a quick look uh, at the bold prediction. So I might have to run with this one because you obviously haven't listened to the episode, so you're not sure what we had on. No. Uh, with that being the case, I predicted Texas Tech to upset. Uh, I had Miami to lose. I also had none of these things, actually. My prediction <laughs> was that uh, two of the undefeated teams in New Mexico – oh, sorry, not undefeated, but – winless teams, uh, New Mexico State and Rice would get their first wins. I was saying both of those teams had yet to win a game and uh, they would both win. Uh, And that didn't happen. They both lost. So I was wrong. Uh, Andy, on the other hand, came in a little bit of arrogance about him. He predicted that Cincinnati would beat UCF. And then sure enough, on the Friday night game, Saturday over here, that that got in. So I, I heard about that from him. Uh, but then he, you know, is a proper member of this show and fucked up his other two. So he had Auburn to win by over 14, I think he said, and then he had Iowa to win as well, and neither of those got in. So he certainly belongs with us uh, in this segment. Not very good. The inability to predict a bold prediction. 
Yes. All right. Let's stay with your lovely voice. I'll keep quiet. What happened on the punt? Okay. So this week, uh, again, another really disappointing one. Uh, the, the picks that I made against Andy in his pick. So he uh, thought that Cincinnati would win. I bet against the team that I'm on. So this is the second straight week that I've done this. I'm throwing that fucking tactic out because it ain't working. I bet against Cincinnati, said UCF would get it done, and they didn't. So I lost on that one. Then I followed Andy and said, yeah, Auburn will win and they will cover their points. They didn't. They lost. So bomb daughter out on that one too. But just to save a little bit of dignity, I had Boston College to uh, keep it close with Louisville. They weren't able to get the win, but they did cover for me. So I had uh, BC to scrape some money back into the account. Uh, I did take a 4.3 unit loss this week. That takes us down to 14.5 units down on the year. So literally bet against you. Yeah, then you'd be doing really well. Everything that I have learned from this show. All right, well, that brings us to the end. Unless I have forgotten anything, Will Murden. No, that's all it. Okay, that brings us to the end of a very, very busy week six. As we look forward to week seven, of course, we will have our preview show coming up in the next couple of days. I know we did get this one out a little bit later than usual and i do apologize but business and work calls sometimes over here in japan and you cannot disgrace your family by missing an opportunity to work i didn't know so uh but yeah we've got a big spread of games from thursday all the way through to sunday this week uh, a lot of favorites at home but there'll be some upsets there um there's also a smattering of big name teams in tricky road situations as well so i have the f- feeling after looking over a couple of these games just really briefly that this is the week that could turn the season sideways it could be kind of like a sideways saturday where things just go a little bit hairy for some of these highly ranked teams anyway we will discuss that more on our preview episode in a couple of days on behalf of Will Murden in the beautiful Adelaide Hills, on behalf of myself here in, where am I at the moment? Some town that I don't know the name of. Uh, my name is Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time.